When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blue Wire Podcast. Welcome into your Sunday Things I Think I Know or Things We Think We Know edition. Crossover style, all eyes on Cleveland and the OBR film breakdown. I'm Brad Ward. That's Jake Burns, like we always do about this time. How are you doing, Jake? Good, man. Sunday, ready to uh, wrap up. Well, we're doing this late Saturday night. Uh, always ready to end a Saturday night with a good Browns discussion. You know how that is, man. Pour a little drink, uh, step yeah. back, enjoy your Saturday night, and talk about the Cleveland Browns, especially what, you know, April 1st. Didn't see any great April Fool's Day jokes today, Brad, but but uh, April 1st somebody, wrapping up pretty good. Somebody tweeted out a fake Miles Garrett suspension tweet yeah, for like banned not cool. substances. Not cool at yeah. all. Not a fan. Not cool. But target target something like you know target something different than than fun thing we're all we're something all nervous fun. about anyway. I was getting yes. tested too much as it is. Correct. Anyway, uh, yeah. This day's either way. one of my least favorite days of the calendar year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Not a big fan of being pranked. Uh, yeah. Fun pranks. Eh. Okay, I can live with them. But uh, April Fools, no thanks. All right. Let's dive into, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is uh, All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm Brad Ward, the OBR Film Breakdown. Uh, Jake Burns with me. We do this uh, every week. It's uh, under the umbrella of the OBR. Go check out everything that we're doing at the OBR. Everybody's uh, got their nose to the grindstone, putting out tremendous work over there. So make sure you are checking in on that and our shows that we do four times a week on the stream. So... Uh, Twitch or YouTube, so make sure you do that. Uh, let's uh, some so the owners' meetings in Arizona uh, earlier this week, uh, Jake, and we've got some rule changes. Okay, and mm-hmm. uh, take you through some of these. Some of these are inconsequential, kind of goofy stuff. Some of them are a little more consequential. And the thing, my biggest complaint, and kind of what I'm writing about this week, not to you know give it all away, but the I think the best rules or the the most uh, influential rules that they could have passed they tabled so mm-hmm. great uh, first right, rule huh? yeah sounds about right huh first rule change is that players can now wear the number zero uh, so uh, it can't be a lineman it can not it can be any other player besides a lineman uh, the single zero number jersey number and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it uh, doesn't really change our lives. Uh, any thoughts on this? Kickers and punters, though, also in this rule, just throw this in there, now have a much wider variety they can choose from. They can wear any number between 0 and 49 and 90 and 99. So kickers can now wear like 99. Yeah, they're probably trying to open up some of those. Um, you know, kickers are... It almost feels like most time these single digits or these prime time teen numbers players want are taken by a yes. kicker. So they're probably trying to give kickers and punters that chance to take a number that they won't get stolen at some point in their career. Is my guess. I know. I know a lot of people were against the uh, initial change where a bunch of different positions could wear a bunch of different numbers, and it went away from yeah. the rigidity that was the NFL and with that stuff. And like, I get it. Um, I, I actually thought I was going to love it. I was all about it. Then I didn't love it because there were a bunch of players in positions wearing numbers I didn't recognize. But now I've grown to really like it again um, to the, that yeah. I thought the way I would thought I would originally like it. So um, you just get used to things. I, who's your leading candidate for number zero for the Browns? That's actually a fun one to think about. Yeah, I, I was. I kind of maybe was throwing that out there. I was thinking maybe like Elijah Moore might wear it, but like I think he already has a number. Maybe um, who's number eleven? Or no, he was he's number eight, that, right? Eight is 
what he wore in New York. And I don't think the Browns had a number eight last year. Unless I'm losing my mind. Right. No, they Alan don't. Was, but he never dressed. Uh, yeah. So zero would be uh, ideally, I think, uh, would be a good running back, wide receiver, or secondary number is kind of where I'm at with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It'd be a good safety number. Would be a good safety maybe. number. Yeah. Um, it feels like you know, it'd be I, a really good three, four edge number, like a guy yeah. ripping off the edge type, uh, yeah. a stand up edge type. I don't know. I don't know who that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess uh, Okoronko was already number seven. Maybe they draft a guy. That's my only guess. I, I don't have an easy answer for who would be zero on the current roster. It feels like most teams want to occupy that did that that uh, very popular number zero there. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll keep you guys updated when we know De- more about the number zero. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, so skip over some of this stuff, but here here's one of consequence. One rule change. I think this is a good one. Uh, on fourth downs now, any fourth down attempt um, that you know where there is some question whether the first down was gained or not uh, mm-hmm. will no longer need to be challenged, Jake. So it's gonna just like a turnover or a scoring play on fourth downs, it'll immediately come from the booth if it's close. So a coach doesn't have to waste his challenge on a close fourth down call. I hope that this. I'm all about it. I, I, I don't think we notice every turnover and scoring play. We don't really notice the um, um, challenge. As long as they keep it that way and the game moves seamlessly, I think yes. we could all agree that any more stoppages in play in the NFL are, are just it's brutal. So as long as they keep it, like I said, that way, no problem with that. You should get all those important swing plays right, in my opinion. So. Um, yeah, I'm in on that. I think that's a good rule. I think that uh, you know all those things that can avoid the uh, guessing game that is challenges would be a uh, would be a right fine thing for me. So okay by me. Hopefully it's still seamless though. The last thing we want is them to be holding up the game, waiting on you know those challenges where nobody actually challenged it. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, as long as it, yeah, we they do a good job of us not noticing it for the most part. Um, so unless it's really blatantly close, so. Uh, I think they'll continue to keep that moving. A couple other things here. So they've added um, launching. Uh, they changed the de- definition of launching. Now, I guess, you know, I was at first, when I first read this, I was confused by some of these, but you have to kind of dig into the language of these a little bit to make some more sense out of them. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, it, it just reads, you know, if a defensive player leaves both, you know, his feet. To make a tackle, it's a launching penalty. And I'm thinking, what about if a guy's running down the sidelines and you have to dive to make an ankle tackle? Is that launching? No, what they're referring to is basically like a defenseless player. And if you leave both feet and dive into him, it's not helmet to helmet. I mean, you can hit him in the arm with your helmet, but if you're leaving your feet, you're going to get flagged 15 yards for it. Yeah, almost like torpedoing yourself, right? Yes. at an angle or whatever yeah i think it's i think that's very much a know it when you see it thing you know like hard to define by the written word but um you you see it you're like oh yeah it's probably a better video evidence thing but that's anything that's anything that's player safety you know i know that people complain a lot it's not the football you watch growing up but you know what i'd rather have is football around in perpetuity than than complain about uh rules that are designed to keep people's heads uh, screwed on longer right like if totally you're complaining agree. about that then then that's just that's a that's a massive you problem like in the in the worst kind of way in my opinion so uh, anything to keep guys safer i mean i'm I, I loved it i grew up loving jacked up segments and big hits and it's fun to look back at that you know what it's not fun to look back at though uh is where those guys are currently with these issues they have and it's like we don't. The, the the thing is, we just don't see it. You know, it's not in the it's not in the limelight the way um, they yeah. were when they were playing, right? And, and and some of that stuff gets lost in the shuffle. And I hope they uh, I hope they continue to continue like ways, whatever ways they can find to make the game safer. Man, I'm all about it. Yeah, well said. Uh, and right along those lines, tripping now will be a 15 yard penalty. Tripping. So you know the one that should not. I think I think I heard that like Joe Burrow said it last year. Is like defensive holding is only five yards. I, like I find that one interesting. Offensive holding is ten yards, 
And I know the defensive holding, you get an automatic first down. Automatic like, first down, yeah. I just find it I interesting agree. that the, like the yardage difference there is kind of strange to me, but you know that maybe is nitpicking uh, a little bit. But some of the rules are upside down in the NFL at times, little bits and pieces of it. But yeah, that tripping stuff can get out of hand. I'm, I'm glad. Like I think it was was it Mac Jones tried to trip somebody last year or on yep, an interception or something. You know, so yep. you you want to eliminate that crap as best you can. So I was on the stream on Thursday night, the OER stream, doing all eyes on Cleveland, and uh, I was reading through a couple of these, and the one that that jumped out to me was this forward handoff one, and I was flabbergasted by the rule. I was like, so wait, you can't, you know, because the way it reads initially is like, you can't hand off the ball forward anymore. So I'm going, what about like zone read, right? Like how is that going to change the way you know what i mean because you're typically the quarterback is angled in a way that the ball is forward uh i did though however and realized that i was a bit of a dumbass uh in in initially <laughs> interpreting the rules without digging into it further it's uh handing off the forward past the line of scrimmage so uh, yeah that would be that little... makes much more sense now aha uh-huh. So you get to the bottom uh-huh. of that one. Yeah. Well, I don't you think know, I've ever even fine seen print. that. Fine print. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Maybe they saw it on a Hail Mary scenario or something where they somebody's trying to hand the ball off real quick to someone. They think it's behind them, but it's kind of in front of them, but hard to call that. Uh, that's my yes. only guess on, the, on that one. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you took away handing off behind the line of scrimmage, it's a completely different sport at that point. So glad they did that. Right, that, exactly. That's what it's kind of <laughs> like. What, what? you're handing off? You can't hand it off forward anymore. So what? The guy's got to turn around. I mean, like, what about like jet sweeps and all that stuff, right? So um, change the game. Yes, it would. Uh, so I was incorrect on that. So I apologize for a, a bit of an overreaction and uh, perplexed uh, reaction I gave on Thursday night. So uh, on that one, but got some clarity there. So uh, and then finally, the one that is kind of crazy here and I'm writing about right now is so they are going to change it to one cut down date for sure for good now uh in uh preseason so teams will go from 90 to 53 that's it all at the same time so i did the math on that that's uh 1408 players jake becoming available all at one time yeah that's crazy um i i i mean it seems like most teams were in favor of it and i know the browns were i would imagine they like getting extended looks at their own players more sure. so than the the benefit i guess the benefit would be of processing you know some of the other teams cut players sooner or something um so yeah I, I mean it seems probably it seems on the surface crazier to the to the people like like us here because i mean the browns are very calculated on this stuff so i i kind of believe that they would have a pretty good plan in place for this um and voting for you know voting in favor of it so yeah i um I think it's going to be hectic as hell. It's going to be hard on writers and people who are writing all this stuff up to to do it. But uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if there's any strategic advantage to this. Maybe like just teams don't have enough guys scouted or or something. I, I'm not sure what the you know. It, it seems like this always happens, right? The, the COVID year created some things that we didn't see coming. Some advantages for teams that. We didn't see so on and so forth. Every time there's a big move, and this is a big move. This is altering the landscape of roster structure for the year, right? So, like, yeah. uh, I, I just will be interested to see which teams come out of it, you know, having a, a, a clear plan with waivers and and sort of executing it, right? So, um, and you know, I'll, I'll, I we'll, wonder we'll too. That. I wonder too, Jake, about maybe a potential downside to some players who. You know, if you're a veteran or you have multiple relationships around the league and a team that finds out they don't want you or need you, uh, you get cut earlier or in one of those earlier cuts, you can catch on with the team quicker and maybe have a chance to play in week one sooner with the multiple cut downs. Whereas now, you know, it's happening all at once. I mean, they've got to, here's my question, and I haven't dug into this yet. They've got to be able to cut 
like a single player if they want, right? Like you would think. Yeah, I would think that this is just keeping your roster below 53. So if they're at 90 and they want to cut a couple guys, I'm sure they they could. I think it's sure. just to me, they had like your roster has to be down to 75 by this date or 65 by this date. So now it's just you can keep it as, as loaded up as you want to keep it, right? Um, you know, if that means you want to keep the whatever, the 90, the 80, Whatever that oh, number so, is, then you can keep it right until so you don't have to, you don't have to have so you, a, a roster date. You like what I would imagine is we'll still see some cuts. Early. Yeah, so you could cut down uh, as you see fit. There's just no yeah. mandatory date. That makes a lot more sense. I'm thinking like, oh, they got to yeah. carry 90 guys until X amount of days. Yeah, I don't think there's like a roster ma- like you have to have 90 on your roster or something. Got like it. That. It's more that just saying a lot more sense. Yeah. Instead of being you have to be down to 65 after the second week, you can keep as many. You can keep 73 if you're not ready to quite let go of that one player. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's my take on it at least. But I'll be interested yeah. to see how many, like which teams when we look at this and we're like. Preseason week two is over. It's Wednesday. How many players are on each team? That would be kind of interesting yep. to see. Like, are the Browns a team that hold on to a lot of guys until the very last minute or whatever, whatever, you know? I feel like they would be. Didn't they, I feel like they did this once before or experimented with it once and it wasn't a rule or something where they could keep guys, maybe 75 they could keep till the end or something. I feel like they've eased into this or something because the one year they had more guys till the end i thought um maybe i'm misremembering but either way uh i feel like the teams will want to keep young guys around until the mm-hmm. end and get a look yeah. at them but my guess would be what you're thinking of is, so, is something around covid whether that was the covid year or the, the year after covid because so many guys yes. came back yes um, if somebody we're not going to have time to look this up on the fly, but if somebody wants to reply to the podcast or DM it's or whatever, hit what us up on Twitter is. and let us know what it was because there was something I, I do recall there was some there there were so many roster tweaking rules that came out in that time to help teams get by. Um, so yeah, there's there's you're, you're definitely onto something there, but I don't remember quite the intricacies of what it was. Yeah, there was one year though. You're right; it probably was COVID related. All right, you're listening to uh, a joint collaboration of All Eyes on Cleveland and the OBR Film Breakdown. Here are the three rules that did not that got tabled. Okay, Jake, and that I think were the probably the three biggest and most important rules. So the first one uh, is that, and this was pushed heavily by the Rams. Right, uh, mm-hmm. they wanted the roughing the passer penalty to be a reviewable call uh and this was you know obviously didn't go through and was tabled to a later date much like pass interference i have no interest in that i think you start frame by framing this sport in any sport really man like these sports were not meant to frame by frame judge like they made these sports for like (laughs) it's like very few people and like for 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 entertainment, and it's like now we're frame by framing what is like the quarterback in the had he launched the throwing motion to be in that state of a protected yeah. player, and it's just like, man, I you know it when you see it. There's going to be screwed up calls on pass interference. There's going to be screwed up calls on you know roughing the passer. I mean, go back to the year that we had the the, the interference rule reviewable right and not many even got overturned like i get that the the reason you would have that rule in place is for like the debacle that would be the saints rams playoff game i get it because then you could overturn something that was so blatantly obvious but Mm. is it beneficial you know that that happened that circumstance happening was so rare and like is it beneficial as they went through the whole season to have like like 120 pass interference review calls happen where maybe one gets and is it worth the slowdown in in game and time and all of that i just don't think it is like i just don't think it is so and and now you want to do it for roughing the passer it's like did he put the weight on him did he fully did he roll off to the side how do we really know like it's that that's just gray areas i really don't want to get into i I, you could you could be a person who wants that and right on but Clearly, I think the NFL is of the belief that this that's just you're just taking things too far. Like it's just a means of, of reviewing everything. And that, that, that to me is silly. It's not worth it. Yeah. So that's um, 
it's basically because, and and I will admit, it has affected a, a good number of outcomes of games. And it's a, it's a crappy way to lose a game. It's happening. Rewrite the rule. Even. It's not it's not a review. It's rewriting it. Like if you don't like yes. pass, like if you don't like roughing the passer, you don't like how the rules written up. You don't like how they're trying to protect these guys currently, right? It's not because it's not the way you watched Troy Aikman and, and Steve Young and all of those guys play the position. It was different. They 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 saw like their quarterbacks getting beat up, and they decided at what point is this player vulnerable? He's most vulnerable when he can't protect himself as a thrower, when he's in the launch point of the throw, and like so you know I'm I'm with you. I, I just uh, I don't love the way it's always called, but I don't think reviewing the call is the answer. I think people you just Agreed. you want the rule rewritten. Instead of I don't even, this rule helping it, you know? Yeah, I don't even want it rewritten. I'm just saying I think that's where the complaint is coming from is just that too many times, and, and it's to nobody's fault, um, really. It's just that too many times, like, it's fourth and 20-something and a guy just throws up a ball and, and a guy tackles a guy and comes off him as best as he can weight-wise and he still gets flagged and teams are upset about it. But, the, I mean, it's just something that you're going to have to live with as we try to protect players. I just think that's just something that yeah. we're going to have to live with. Um, it is. Okay, so that I agree. I don't want those reviewed. Uh, that would just be even more of a mess uh, because... It's all, you know, up for interpretation, I believe. This one I find interesting. Now, do you, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. If you find this too gimmicky or not, right? So the onside kicks uh, rules uh, were recovered in all-time low in the NFL this year at 4%, Jake. Um, the it league still impacted our the, Browns. It did, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> Uh, it would the NFL would reportedly like to see a recovery rate of thirteen to fourteen percent. Um, so which is a lot higher than what we saw, right? Ten percent increase there. And mm -hmm. uh, but the rule on the table is the rule for I believe it's the XFL or something close to that, where instead of onside kicks, uh, the ball would be placed at the twenty. You get a one fourth and twenty chance to score. Um, and if you score on that one play, you get the ball back. Are you for this or against it? I think it'd be fun to try. I mean, I think I, as far fun. as like tradi to like traditionalist stuff would probably not like it, but no, um, get off my, you own. know, I, there are parts of recent, uh, developments in all sports that it's like going against the traditional stuff here where, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, baseball's doing the pitch clock and basketball's doing like the play in tournament at the end for and, and those things to me have been fun. Like the play in tournament, yeah. I didn't think I'd like it, but that's fun, man. Like teams pitch chasing those great. seeds. Play it's it's better it's better for basketball, right? The pitch clock is completely altering the game of baseball here. Like and I think in a good way, because it's a better viewing experience all around at Absolutely. the game and at home. And it's like why why wouldn't that i mean dude for like what do you love about football you love pressure pack situations right exactly pressure pack situations that your team can control our defense or offense can control right and bouncing of the football which is so luck driven this this weird object being kicked from a sideways angle and it's like hey man we got amari <laughs> cooper trying to recover this thing and he couldn't recover it in that jets mm -hmm. game it's like because it took a stupid bounce and like I would just mm -hmm. like to be a little more in control of that when and a fourth and twenty is still, you know, we we've seen the Browns operate on third and ten plus. So it ain't it ain't it ain't a guarantee. Let me tell you that. But uh no. it just would be I think it could be a fun wrinkle. I, I think some people would view it as gimmicky and that's all fine and dandy. But if uh and I don't mind keeping things the way they are, obviously, but if they were like, We're gonna do this to spice up the game, I'd be like, All right, well, fourth and twenties are fun. Like do or die moments are fun to me. I just yeah. think they are. Would certainly make the end of games uh, a lot more interesting, I think. Um, and teams, I think, would view themselves in the game longer if that was a, a rule, I think. And so. it, to me, it would create another roster spot for a wide receivers who are jump ball specialists, you know? Like yeah. A 6'6 mm -hmm. wide receiver with a crazy vertical who maybe is a terrible separator, maybe normally wouldn't be on the rod, but this guy can go. He's got a 40-inch vertical. 
he can go up and get it and we can give him a chance to go catch a seam shot to to get this fourth and 20 to get us a football back like that that would yeah. create a roster spot or, or bigger tight ends or whatever man because you're not running it duh like it's obviously yeah. gonna be a throw yeah. so get bigger bodies like create that that would be an interesting thing wouldn't it be an interesting roster nick, wrinkle nick chubb draw that browns browns fans would be gone got hey no, biggest play of the game give it to nick chubb they would love it yeah gotta give it to him i'm man. just kidding but, just kidding guys no, just not. kidding no, all right don't nobody get offended. All right. All right. Let's uh last one. You you said it well there. Uh this is a good transition to additional roster spots. The last rule change that was tabled that I thought for sure this was gonna get passed. Uh basically it goes back to like, you know, a lot of these are just come up to fix a problem that happened and in the last year and this one is mainly that the NFC championship game, which was a complete dud because both quarterbacks got hurt and Purdy couldn't throw the ball and uh, it was a, a waste of a, a, a championship game, basically. So I think it was in 2011 they went away with the rule initially, but they want to um, – this rule was to expand game day rosters to, from 45 to 46 uh, and let NFL teams carry a third quarterback on game day. Uh, I, this to me seemed like a no-brainer to do it. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. Uh, did you see a reason why people voted against no. that? Because I have no idea. It makes no, no sense to me. Why would you want to put guys transitioning over to play quarterback into those spots? Why would you want to put Brock force the, the 49ers, even to put Brock Purdy back on the field just to hand it off? What if Brock Purdy, his shoulder was so bad he fumbled one that he went to hand off and he dives after it and hurts it worse? Like, that makes yep. absolutely no sense to me. It's so simple to allow a team to bring up a practice squad quarterback for game days and improve your product. So I do not know. I don't want to speak too ill about it because I don't know what the reasoning is, like why for sure people said no to that. But on the surface, makes zero sense. It would help your product to me. That's just what I think. But again, I am a known idiot. So I will uh, hold off on, um, you know, kind of like being – uh, crazy critical until I were to hear an answer from some of the owners on that. Maybe we won't get it uh, is they don't, they're not obligated to answer why they voted yes or no on that. But it's just so strange to me to not approve that, you know, it's like, okay, so you want a worse product. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. You like your championship games to have this issue. Right. Right on. All right. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding, I guess, as I read this a little bit further is they, in, in 2011, they changed the rules so that, you know, you can carry a third quarterback, but it counts as a roster spot. So teams don't, right? Because they they value mm -hmm. the other position better, whatever. Uh, but this would have been where there's a roster. What they should do is they should just have a third quarterback rule place, you know, doesn't count mm -hmm. against your 45 game day, game day roster. You can dress yeah. and be on the side. Get to I'm fine whatever. with that guy being on the 53 but I don't think he should impact your number of guys on the field. Like that's the thing that Correct. some people that are kind of just Correct. like not all in focusing on the games. Like you don't understand that there's a game day roster that is a limited number of your 53. And to yes. me, not allowing those guys um, to making them eat up one of your tight, limited game day roster numbers as is, is just, that's just to me, it's silly. So yeah, I, I think that you can make a concession there. They have to be on the 53. Fine. Cool. I mean, me personally, I wouldn't even have that, but I could stomach the 53, yeah. but but keeping them on the, you know, the game day stuff is pretty strange to me. Yeah, I but, could care less. You know. It can be a practice squad guy. I don't care. Just, you know, if you have a third quarterback, just just designate him that. Everybody should have, like, a designated third QB, and, and that's it. And yeah. that way, uh, yeah. It just seems like a, a, I don't, no I don't get the downside. I don't get the downside. Yeah. But either way... Uh, somebody saw a downside because they did not pass it. That is tabled for next year. We have some more things we think we know uh, on this glorious uh, edition of uh, a crossover between the OBR film breakdown and All Eyes on Cleveland, Jake Burns and Brad Ward. Uh, the OBR Blue Wire podcast. Quick break. We'll be right back. Things we think we know about the draft. And we are back to talk about some things we think we know about the NFL draft as we get closer and closer, Jake. Um, 
You want me to start here? You want me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna you do go this. Ahead. I'm gonna go first. We're just gonna here. do one. We have one take on the draft. Like we don't. It's it's post free agency here, so it's a yeah. little bit of a uh, of a boring time here until we get to the draft. So we're gonna do a lot of draft talk, uh, as you would presume. I mean, even though they don't pick until pick seventy four, you still want to do a lot of discussion around this. So we will continue to do a, a ton of that over the next what April for twenty six days. We're inside of a month now. So. Uh, you know, I have uh, I have fully ensconced myself into my draft preparation, which is just, you know, whatever. I'm trying to focus on day two, guys, right? And uh, uh, mainly, right? And uh, I wrote an article, and there were five guys that I really like uh, in day two. And they don't, they're not great RAS score guys, not all of them, Jake. And a lot of them are outside the age guard rail. And the reason I wrote the article was just to kind of point to like, hey, I love this guy's intangibles. I love what he could bring. He could help right away. And he's nowhere, he's not on the guardrail for Raz or he's not on the guardrail for age. This is a guy that I think the Browns should be looking at anyways. Um, I feel like, that with the COVID year pushing guys back an extra year, a lot of guys are older by a year because of the COVID year, and with the Browns in win-now mode, I feel like the Browns should loosen up this age guardrail stuff. If a guy plays on a rookie contract and he's 28 when he's done or he's 29 when he's done with his four years, who cares if you got four good years out of him? I, I, I just I, I don't see... You're wiping out a lot of good players, in my opinion, with the age guard rail. Yeah, it's it's something uh, I've tried to discuss myself a little bit. I thought when I brought that, you know, the Browns angle here to Dane Brugler, uh, who writes at The Athletic and does a great job, he made a pretty good point. One that I haven't really heard people talk about is that, you know, the obvious reason you do this is because you can get, you know, younger players have more mental development, body development, all of it, right? And the Browns are over, what, since 2018, rounds one through three are the team that has drafted the average lowest age uh, in the NFL. So it's it's yes. a decent decent little margin, like 21 and a half on average, right? So um, they they lead it, and they're in leading the charge of this. And, and I had said something to Dane about that because we were talking about prospects, and he mentioned like Tennessee's Byron Young and some others where it's like, oh, well, do, do they fit around the age guardrail? And he's like, you know, I think that's an interesting topic because – it, you know, physically, you 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 know, you don't know when people f are fully matured, right? Like, it, not just mentally, but the physical part too. Of like, some guys can be yeah. completely done growing at 22. Some guys can't don't stop growing until 23, 24, 25. Like, that's just that's, that's something point. you have to obviously dig out. You know, fully vet to understand uh, about somebody's development, and that's hard to always you know predict, but. Um, just because a guy's younger doesn't mean he hasn't hit a spurt of growth or whatever as a person. Um, and again, as a football player, maybe they have a lot of snaps, right? Maybe a guy's a little older, but they haven't played as many snaps as somebody who's coming into the draft 21 or 22. So it's not always mm -hmm. like black and white. So I do hope that this year, uh, especially this year and looking into next year, that they're a little bit more fluid on these things because just eliminating some players there where they're pretty dang good, but the NA is 23, can't really deal with that is silly to me, right? You know, it's silly to me. So I hope that yeah. they don't live by this, especially when they're, you know, short on picks and um, later in the uh, draft, obviously are in, a, in, a, in a, a little bit different of a window, in my opinion, right now than they have been the last three years where they're sort of self, you know, they're, they're telling on themselves that, that, that they believe they're in a win now mode. They believe they're done building, right? And if you're done building yeah. and you can find people that can impact things right away, you do it. Now, again, if all things are equal, you're looking at two uh, prospect A and prospect B, right? And, they're pretty damn equal. They do a lot of things well. They do. They got the similar production scores. They got similar athleticism. They fit a similar role. You always take the younger player. Like that's just yep. that's common sense. Common mm -hmm. sense. But I don't think that they should be eliminating people. It, it pick you're getting your your pick seventy four earliest here. Like absolute earliest. Last year they traded out a forty two. Right now they ended up picking what like sixty six or sixty eight wasn't where they got Martin Emerson. So it's not all yep. too different. But you had a little bit more promise going into that draft because they had a pick in uh, the top forty, whatever. Um, so that that was a that was a different scenario here. But now we know as a minimum um, that if they don't alter anything. They're picking seventy fourth. That's early. And, and again, 
like eliminating people. You're you're getting the potentially the 74th best player by by theory here in the draft and just saying, well, we're going to eliminate these 15 guys because they're 23 or 24. That's not smart business to me. You you should be no. in the business of getting as many good players in this thing as you possibly can. Now I know you draft for the future. There's all I, I it doesn't miss me, right? Like you know you draft to replace future needs, and you you also try to just get good players, man. And like yes. <laughs> at the end of the, the day with drafts, all cliches uh, included here, you, you need guys who can help you win, right? And and if I'm saying, well, you know this is a player we really love, we really like, but he's not gonna. You know, we got to we got to have to wait on him, you know, or it's not. We, we, let me say it this way. We wanted to uh, really address the future of safety. Right. And we wanted to look two years down the line at replacing Grant Delpit or next year replacing Grant Delpit. So we're going to eliminate this defensive end. We really, really like because not like that's not that's not the way I don't think they operate that way. And I don't think you should think they operate that way. It's it's again, as they've tried to point out to us, they've done this many times. Um, and they did this most recently with the draft with JOK when they traded up for him, which we're going to talk about from my side in just a minute, um, that they're not, li- they don't live, but they have guidelines. I think they try to follow here, but they don't live by them. They're not prisoner to them. Uh, and they will do, they will break those things uh, when it's best suited for them to break it. And like this draft to me um, in the next one, as they're limited uh, in certain regards here are like, Hey man, go get good players and and stop worrying. I don't want them drafting a 25 year old here, but like, again, like go, like I would encourage them to stop. Like, don't worry if he's 21 or like if a guy's 23, I mean, you're, you're doing it within reason. Like, I don't want them to go draft. Like it's funny. Jordan Akins came into the draft. Like he had played, I talked about this. He had played uh baseball for four years before he went to central Florida. So yeah, he came into the draft like 26, Um, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, that, that would be a bit of a shock, but I still like eliminating players who are late 22 and play their rookie and turn 23 in their rookie year. I, I think that's silly. So I'm proud so, of Browns fans for understanding it, right? Like the guy who responded to you on Twitter today, shout out, man. Good. We've yeah. all learned. We, we know what yeah. they do now. Congrats. But I, I think that living rigidly by the age structure on things is like, it, to me is it can be deadly. It can, it can really do, do some bad to your draft outcomes, in my opinion. So, you know, the league is trending younger. It seems like across the league, people are doing a better job. GMs are doing a better job of drafting younger players when they can. But there are exceptions, and I hope the Browns can continue to find exceptions to that. Uh, You mentioned Byron Young of Tennessee. Uh, He was in the article I wrote. Um, Interesting. He's an interesting one, right? Like, because he is 25, Mm-hmm. And he ran a four four three forty and a thirty eight inch vertical. Um, and when you compare him to some of the guys around him at edge, I feel like he's the best one in that group. And uh, so that kind of raises a conflict there because he's twenty five. So twenty five is old. I mean, but but again, like. To he's me, stud. you have to, you have to, yeah. Like you're hoping if you take a guy who's not as athletic as Tim and is 22, you're hoping that he can get to the spot that that guy is at 25. So, like, I get it. I'm with it. I, I mean, I can be. The thing is, they have certainly shown the willingness as the draft goes on to draft older, right? They've shown that yeah. willingness to do that. I have, uh, with you, with your premium picks in the first three rounds, uh, especially picks 74, 75, I, I, 74 and 98, I expect them to, to trend a little young. But when you're taking the 100th overall player in the draft, which is essentially what they're going to be doing, like if you're yeah. going to get mad as somebody who follows the Browns because they took someone who's 25 but is a good player at 25, they're just trying to get a guy at 25, man. Like somebody yeah. who can, if like at 98, a guy's you're just trying to get something out of him and and right. getting four years of a, of a guy. If he's really good getting four years and then maybe a second contract that adds on a couple more years is not the end of the world. That's a good outcome for any pick. Like if you look at the average hit rate of picks at 98, come on, man, like just find yeah. a good player. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly would love them exactly. to find young players that can be around for a decade and yada, yada, yada. But I also would just like at the basis of all of this is find guys who can, Make your roster and make an impact. Like that's all we should want from the draft. Instead of trying to outsmart everything and, and out, oh, look at his next contract. How about you just worry about how damn good is he right now and how good can he be right away in the next uh, year or two years? And, and worry about the contract stuff when it's time to worry about it, right? Or 
the duration at which a guy is around. So I, I I'm encouraged, Brad, that they're they're bendable on some of this stuff. They've certainly in the fourth round and beyond been more open to older players or lower rascal players. I mean, again, the, the rascal example is David Bell last year. Mm-hmm. who is who is not a very good athleticism score but they're willing to take him in the third round so uh, i hope there's some some more bending that they do there to go chase people they think are you know exceptional football players you know what i'm saying i do uh and uh, i probably couldn't i couldn't say that any better uh than you just did about the uh, age guard rail and yeah like it doesn't I, I completely understand why they do it with the younger ones but uh in certain situations and especially this year it feels like maybe an opportune time if there is a player there that's better than a younger player i don't think you should exclude yourself or restrict yourself from taking that guy and that's all i'm saying uh no i'm with that too and 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 i think that this happened last year and i know it's going to happen again this year um that they are going to uh people get confused that the first two picks the browns make are not first and second rounders like they're not picking until the third round so that's Correct. the third round people had these expectations last year that like perry on winfrey and david bell were going to be these big contributors because in your mind you sort of trick yourself right into thinking uh you know the, these guys are our early picks they're the studs that we brought nah they were picked where they were picked for a reason so temper mm-hmm. those expectations for some of those guys and i think the same thing can happen when you discuss age guard rails because you can start to trick yourself into being like, well, you know, this is a this is our first pick. It's a top, it's our top pick. It's got to be young. No, nah, when you're picking 74, 98, they got to be good. Above all else, we need these guys to be good and form some kind of impact. Like I, I really could not, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty serious about this, could not care less about age because just getting a really good rookie contract out of some of these guys at 74, 98 would be an absolute home run, like home run. So Totally agree. And they've totally been adept agree. at finding free agents to supplement some of these things. So it's not like they can't do that, you know, if things get yeah. tighter. But yeah, anyway, um, ready for mine? It's pretty, it's pretty I much am on ready. the same line. I am ready. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I have a take that I think, you know, we just talked about age guard rail. And, um, you know, we, we, there's that famous piece of paper that went around the Browns organization back when Sashi was here about how they structure thought process in the organization. And one of those is just sort of, you know, spending premium draft capital on premium positions. I, I mean, as we sit here and look at the roster, and 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 uh, I know that Anthony Walker kind of got the vet minimum, and then he got some 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 lift up stuff from the injury that he suffered last year. Uh, that article Jack uh, Jack Duffin wrote is up at the OBR. You can read more about the contract. I think um, I'm trying to remember exactly what that's called that that comes in that contract. Veteran, so, uh, Taki got the yep, yeah, yeah. Taki Taki got the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah, where you were injured and. Uh, it's like an escalation thing. I don't know. Jack's probably listening to us right now and laughing this morning. And and uh, uh, yeah, it it his, allows you walk. to pay in, pay the player less and and or count against your cap less and they get more somehow. Right. Bingo, which works out for everybody, right? So yeah, um, the thing that's that like they're still in an interesting spot at linebacker, right? Like Taki Taki's not going to be back till midseason, and even when he's back, he's coming back from an ACL. Um, you have Walk. He's coming back from a torn quad. You have JOK, who's you know proven through two years. He's he's not he's not sixteen games durable yet. He could have a great year and play 16, 17 games, right? But we don't know that yet. I think they're going to draft a linebacker higher than you think. Like if I think if there's, to me, there are options out there that if they, I'm not saying they're going to trade up into the fifties again like they did. Um, you know, with, with the JOK trade was like fifty eight to fifty two. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Brad, but I think it was fifty eight to uh, to fifty two or something along those lines. So. If um, my, my singular point here is two positions, linebacker, um, if, if it gets to mid 60s, right, and if they are in love with Drew Sanders could slide Trenton Simpson, they, like Jack Campbell's 53rd on Dane Brugler's big board. I love Jack Campbell. I think he's a really good football player. If they love him and he's sitting there at 61, two, three, four, that area, I could see him doing the same thing they did with JOK, swapping out, swapping here and there later. You know, maybe taking 142 uh, for, uh, you know, take 142 and 74 for 65 and 201, mm-hmm. making that deal and going and getting it. I, I really think they need a linebacker. Like, I, I think at this point, as I look at it, they, for the future, need it. And um, it, for, for this year, Brad, like, again, Trenton Simpson, Clemson, if he slides, uh, Jack Campbell's there. And then later on, like, I think they could take, 
uh, Dorian Williams. Like I think in their ter- in their top four picks, they're going to take two positions that you did not expect them to take: uh, linebacker in some way, shape, or form. And then I, I think they're taking a running back. It's a really good class, and I and I I, am, I really believe by one forty or one forty two, they will have taken a running back um, because they want one. They have not been aggressive to go out and get a third running back. Now they could play. They could shut me up, and maybe the right guy at the right time doesn't come to fruition here. Again, these are things we think we know, not things we know we know. I, I just feel <laughs> like as we talk about two positions there, they I mean, Jerome Ford has some preseason flashes, didn't have many in-season flashes. Now, again, opportunity-based. He had a nice kick return um, uh, performance this past year, but we need to see more. Like, you can't sit here. And I, go, I know football is projection-based. It's all projection-based. That's that's what the, the whole thing's driven on, or everybody would be great at doing this. But it's not a lot that Jerome Ford is as good a running back you need. And when you and when you don't have a third one currently in your wheelhouse and you typically keep four on, a, on your roster, I think that I, I feel really confident they're going to draft one and they probably want a good one because, again, like Nick's contract starts to get movable, adjustable uh, in the next year, two years. I think he's got two years left here, but you never know. So yeah. I think they're going to prioritize linebacker running back, Brad. And I feel I feel fairly confident in that. Um who they prioritize, I don't know. We'll continue to try to give you examples of that as the time comes. But those are two positions that are, again, non-premium positions, right? Not edge, not corner, not quarterback, not wide receiver, that I feel fairly confident that they are going to be attacking with some of their, and again, this isn't the same, their premium draft capital isn't the same as the Bears, but I feel I feel like they're going to use what's important to them on their draft capital on those two positions because I still think they're a little bit unresolved, and I think you can find a good player where they're going to be picking. It's a chance that, again, there's a chance Campbell's there. It's not a positive thing, but there's a chance. And, like, he would be a super fun Mike Linebacker, man. Like, <laughs> I yeah. just would be so excited about that. So, yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my take as we move into yeah. this, uh, this draft month. I think uh, when you talk about running back, I think it's time, right? Like, I think timing-wise, uh, and I think I made, they made that clear when they didn't bring back Dearness Johnson or anything like that. Like, I think they kind of made that clear that it's pretty obvious that, that, that they need to draft another guy. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't get to see what Ford really is in his full capacity. Like, I don't know what he is as a pass catcher really at all, Jake, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, um, some promising so like, moments in Cincinnati, but we didn't see enough yeah. here to know. Yeah. Right. So um, I think that actually like the timing wise, I think it makes a lot of sense for them to draft a running back. This is a pretty deep class with uh, some good running backs in it. Um, that'll be around. So I, I I agree with you. I think they'll take a running back for sure at some point. And I'm you're you're I tend to believe that you're probably right about linebacker as we look at that room. Um and you look at the injury history and you look at uh, you know, uh Phillips uh history as your middle linebacker, and I think maybe they want to uh, invest in another guy uh for your future there and that may come uh at this ideal spot here where you may get a a campbell there um so or like you said uh you know you don't need eight draft picks you're not you don't need eight players for this roster so use it for ammunition to get up and get the guy you want whether that be a campbell uh, or I could see them moving one of these picks into 24 as well. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense to me, Jake. And uh, I put a I put a linebacker in uh, my article. Do you ever do you know anything about him, Ventrell Miller from Florida? Did you like him at all? I have not gotten him yet. Uh, plan to here okay. in the next month. But but there are some interesting, you know, Henry Teo Teo uh, from Alabama, like. Uh, Dan Henley yeah. from Washington State. There are some interesting late ones too, right? That yes, that uh, he's a big Dorian Williams. Yeah, big big hitter, big hitter. Like the uh, b- b- PFF had the uh, biggest hitter in the draft guy. So, mm-hmm. and I think the uh, Browns could use some of that nasty on their defense. It was kind of. Uh, I'm always open to it. I'm always open yeah. to them. But yeah, I mean, I feel like again by 126 ish. I can maybe see them getting to 140 with it. Those those two positions are the some of the leaders in the clubhouse for me to be attacked based on draft boards and uh, da- the the depth of the draft as well. Um, you think Campbell? What's the latest Campbell goes? So hard to tell. It, it really is. Re- I mean, like 
pro football focus drafts. Most of the time he's going mid second round. Again, that's just like there. They think he's a little better than what Dane ranks him. Um, if you look mm -hmm. at, if you look at Zerline, I'll try to pull that up real quick. He is not overly high on him either. Um, he has him below day and Henley. So he has him as the fourth linebacker. Um, you know, I, it's, I think his range is anywhere from top of the second round to bottom, uh, mid, top of second, middle of third. So the Browns would have to spice up a little bit and go get him if they got, like, if it got to 65 or a little before that, there. you could see them getting, because, I mean, he meets the age number. Uh, I think he's 22, so it's not perfect. Mm -mm. It's not perfect, but he is an, a freaky athlete, man. Like a freaky yeah. athlete, and I think he does a lot of innate things really well as a Mike. So um, it would be it'd be a really fun player to see land in this defense that that Schwartz likes some guys at linebacker who can read, dissect, react, and go, and are just good ball players. So yeah, man, I think that that would be like it. about the range. I like it. Uh, good stuff here tonight. Uh, Jake, do you have any parting words here before we get out of here? No parting words. I would just suggest, this is deep thought, that everybody has a great Sunday, Brad. That's all I want everyone to do. A that great Sunday. And, uh, deep. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your time with your family on the weekends. Precious time. So, deep, try to do that. Deep thoughts from Jake oh, yeah. Burns. All right. Uh, good stuff, as always. Uh, things we think we know about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that's Jake Burns of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm Brad Ward of All Eyes on Cleveland. It's been a uh, crossover joint collaboration under the OBR umbrella. Go check out everything at the OBR. Uh, and uh, we will be back. Uh, tell a friend. Hit subscribe. We appreciate your time. Have a lovely Sunday. And we are out. Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>